we might be changing things up a little bit with the podcast this semester. Um, we're kind of looking at doing something a little different with our services. And so that doesn't really, uh, uh, so me posting my sermons on the podcast is going to look a little different. So we might try to turn this into an actual podcast a little bit. Um, but if you're a Chi Alpha student and at Shatter State and you're looking for uh, our sermons from the last week, um, the content that we preach or that I speak about is going to be on the podcast. But um, for those of you who don't attend Shatter State College and you're not necessarily looking for the sermon, um, this might actually end up serving you a little bit better. But uh, but anyway, so we'll see how it looks. Just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. Um, for those of you guys who are students at Shatter State, um, we have a retreat coming up in spring. It's in April. Um, so get in touch with us. Uh, shoot us a message on our website and uh, make sure that you're included in that. Um, but outside of that, let's get started. Um, for today, I was really I was praying about what we were going to talk about. And I just kind of was reflecting a little bit on what God was speaking to me. And the sentence, do I really believe in what I say I believe, kept coming and coming back and forth to my head, kind of repeated over and over, do I really believe what I say I believe when it comes to Jesus? That's an interesting question because I think our tendency is always, yeah, of course I believe whatever I really believe because, you know, exactly, I believe it. But I think there's an element of our actions that come into play to this. And so in Second Timothy, Paul writes that in the end days, it's going to be bad. It's going to be rough. But the interesting thing that I see while looking at this is that Paul's really warning Timothy about the church and what the church is going to look like. Not necessarily the world, because of course the world's going to get worse and worse and worse, but the church is going to get rough. The church is going to be given over to sin and selfishness. And Second uh, Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And this is kind of interesting because I feel like in today's, um, at least the American church, I, I can really only speak for the American church because that's the church that I'm a part of, but I see so many people starting to consume online. We're starting to find those podcasts. We're starting to find those preachers that we really like to hear that really make us feel good, that, you know, get us fired up, that, you know, have a good purpose. But as we begin to isolate down those podcasts and those sermons, eventually we start really choosing the ones that make us feel the best. And when reading Second Timothy 4.3, we're looking at it and we're seeing They'll have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I feel like in today's world with the digital consumption, especially post-COVID, post-2020, we're seeing so, so high in numbers of, of digital consumption that churches are beginning to have to cater to that digital consumption. But I was reading, a it was like a meme on Facebook the other day. Basically, it said, you know, one of the problems with digital con, uh, consumption is that we can't lead from the sofa. We can't interact from the sofa. And it's such an interesting word because really that's what it comes down to. And that's why we have to meet. And that's why we gather is because both we're called to consume and get ourselves closer to Christ as we read the Bibles and we, or read our Bibles and we pray and we 
We spend that time getting closer to God. But also, God calls us pretty distinctively to love our neighbor. How can I love my neighbor? And, and the church is one of our neighbors. How can I love my neighbor if I'm not with them? And so I feel like digital consumption is really kind of beginning to um, show this scripture as, as just kind of flooding through the church. And so Paul's warning us exactly what's going to happen. Now, whether we're actually in the end times or not, uh, we can have a conversation about that another time. But I think the American church is really starting to resemble what Paul is talking about in Second Timothy. And so it's our duty as Christians to do some self-assessing and to ask ourselves regularly, not just once, not once in a while, but regularly. We need to reflect, do some self-reflecting and ask ourselves, do I reflect the Christian of the Bible? Or do I reflect the Christian that Paul is warning us about? Have I began to gather teachers, get begin to gather people who are telling me what I want to hear? Or am I gathering teachers who are challenging me and actually causing me to grow? Um, I remember one time after I got my pastoral credentials, just shortly after, I was meeting up with some friends that I knew from before I was a Christian. And um, I pretty much hadn't seen them since before I became a Christian. And I was joking around with him and, and having a conversation. And one of those friends was just kind of stoic. Every time I make any kind of joke, he would just kind of scowl at me and just kind of glare at me, shake his head. And it was kind of off-putting, but I just kind of like turned myself so I couldn't really see him and continue to make jokes and have fun. And um, I just really didn't want <laughs> to mess with whatever he was presenting, really, if I'm being honest. And uh, as I'm, I'm joking, he just continues to just scowl at me. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's really confusing, if I'm honest. And we get done joking and we're kind of walking away. And, and I kind of was like, dude, what, what's going on, man? Like, what's, why you, why you treat me like this? And he just said that, I guess I just think it's wildly inappropriate for a pastor to be talking like you're talking and joking like you're joking. I just kind of thought more of you as a pastor. And so I was like, whoa, okay. I need to take a second. I need to look at myself. I need to reflect. And so after doing some self-reflection, actually, I really don't think like, I didn't say anything appropriate and I wasn't joking at anybody's expense. It was actually a pretty lighthearted, positive conversation, positive joking, positive laughing. And <clears throat> it did catch me off guard though. And so I did do some self-reflecting. I really did check myself and I really do appreciate him calling me on it. But through having further conversation, you know, what we kind of realized was that he just thought pastors were supposed to be kind of stoic not laughing, you know, and the only thing I'm allowed to talk about is Jesus. And we were able to correct some of his assumptions and the, the, the wrong church experience that he had growing up. And, um, and really, you know, the wrong wasn't even on me, but it caused me to do some self-reflecting and, and check my words and make sure go through like actually self-reflect. Am I representing Christ? Am I representing Christ the way I should? And, um, you know, that kind of always sat with me is, is that sometimes even, even when you're being correct and you're in, in, you know, doing what you're supposed to be doing that sometimes people will take offense to it anyway. And that's really what happened. And so sometimes as pastors, as preachers, we do almost have to be and, and scripture does talk about have to be above reproach, not at reproach. You know, the standard Christian could probably be at reproach and get away with it. But as pastors, as preachers, we have to be above reproach. And I really think as Christians, we should, 
you know, we should all call ourselves to be above reproach. But that doesn't mean we need to be stoic and, and you know, give ourselves and, and no longer allow ourselves to have fun or anything like that. But that just comes from bad theology. But um, that's kind of the, the, that experience. And that's kind of kind of that mindset that I want us in today is self-reflecting, even if I didn't do anything wrong. Self-reflecting, even if I think I'm doing everything right. Self-reflecting, even if I'm feeling good about my walk with Christ. Self-reflecting and trying to figure out ways in which I can improve. If that makes sense. Um, my wife and I, we went to a meeting for pastors and emerging leaders uh, this last week. And on our way back, we were kind of talking about like, what if America all of a sudden passed anti-Christian laws? The way that some of these other countries are that are going through and they're, they're you know, trashing Bibles and, and any kind of Christian paraphernalia, so to say. Um, what would happen in America if, if that happened? And if they came to our house, would they be able to walk in and immediately convict us because we're Christians? And now we're pastors, so you walk in, there's crosses and there's stuff about Jesus and there's four Bibles in every room. And then <laughs> downstairs is my office and you know, we've got a closet literally full of Bibles and uh, discipleship tools and stuff like that. So, of course, you would be able to convict us based off of that. But then we kind of went a step further. Now, if the NSA was following my conversations outside of, you know, my ministry duties, outside of me being a pastor, just in my friend to friend and colleague to colleague and family conversations, if the NSA was following me, would they be able to convict me based off of the conversations I have? And so now take it a step further. If somebody could read your mind, could they tell that you're a Christian based off of what you're thinking on, what you're meditating on any given hour of the day? And so it's one thing to have an outward appearance of being Christian. It's one thing to talk the talk like we're being a Christian. But it's another thing to really have our minds given over to following Christ. And so I want you to reflect for a second. If the NSA was following you or somebody who was psych, you know, psychic and could read your mind for a good week, if you take out your church attendance and you take out, maybe you're good about reading the Bible in the morning, so you take that out of the equation. But you're day-to-day, you're at work, you're, you're going about your life, you're at Walmart. If somebody who just randomly pinged you at Walmart could read your mind, could they tell you're a Christian by the things you're thinking about while you're walking through the store? What does that look like for you? How does that look? And so um, I think that is important for us as Christians, especially as, as things get harder and harder in America, as, as uh, you know, more and more people become anti-Christian. It's going to be important for us to have our of our thoughts dedicated, like not all of our thoughts, but you know what I'm saying, like you know, giving ourselves over to thinking about Christ more than just this little box we put him in in the mornings when we spend our time with God, and this little box when we go to church and we go to Bible study. Those things are good, but they're not the entire picture. And so the last thing I want to talk about today is, have you ever really thought about your close family members, those people who are close to your closest friends and family who are not Christian? And have you ever really thought about the implications of them being in hell? Like, have you ever actually tangibly thought about those guys being in hell? And there for a while, there were some books that came out that got famous about people who died and went to heaven and died and went to hell. And, and uh, I remember one, and I, don't, I didn't even read the book, but I just remember the premise of it was basically a guy died and 
went to heaven, but he was able to see into hell and his closest friends and family were able to see back. And uh, those friends and family were in hell and they noticed that he was in heaven and they started cussing him, cussing at him and berating him, basically saying, why didn't you tell us? You never told us. You never told us what you know to get into heaven. You never told us. Why didn't you tell us? And all he could basically say was, I'm sorry, because he didn't make any real effort to share the gospel with them. And then, you know, when the paramedics revived him or whatever, he became kind of infatuated with making sure that all of his friends and family heard about the gospel. Now, we shouldn't need a, a glimpse into hell and a glimpse into heaven in order to take a second, reflect, you know, to have a really thought about the tangible reality that some of my closest friends and family might not be able to go to heaven and I've never shared what I know with them. So if you're following along and you want to follow the scripture I'm about to read, it's in Matthew 12, uh, starting in verse 30. So you can pause it. There, but um, it says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I feel like it's an important verse. It says, Whoever is not with me is against me. This is Matthew 12 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The scripture isn't calling us to just consume. Jesus is saying, Whoever does not gather with me scatters. We're not called to consume, we're not called to consumerism called to share. And the last commandment, in, or the last thing that Jesus says is go and make disciples. Jesus is saying go and be disciple. He's saying go and make disciples. Now being disciples is a part of making disciples, but our faith is not passive. It's active. Jesus says the greatest command, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. I can't love my neighbor as myself if I'm consumed. If all I'm doing is consuming. And so therefore I can't love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul. If I'm just loving him in a consuming manner. Continuing in verse 31 says, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come. Uh, verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty wound they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. What does that say to you? Take a second and reflect on it. What does that say to you? Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. So how can we have a consumer relationship with Jesus if we're not producing any fruit? And I think that point where we're not producing fruit kind of fits into that that part of uh, scripture in uh, Revelations 3.15 says, I know your works, you're neither hot or nor cold. Would you, I would rather you be hot or cold because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And so I feel like Matthew 12, because he's talking about make a tree, tree good and its fruit will be good, make it bad, its fruit will be bad. I feel like a tree that does not produce fruit kind of falls into that lukewarm category. 
And so if we're stuck in a consumerism relationship with Jesus, we're, we're consistently consuming. And even we're, I mean, you could be the best at reading your Bible on earth. You could be the best at spending time in prayer. But if you're infatuated and stuck consuming, and you're not sharing, and you're not gathering, Jesus says that you're scattering. That's so important for us as Christians to ensure that we're producing good fruit. And I feel like it's, to take a step further, it's so important for us as Christians to produce fruit. And so what would you define as being lukewarm? How would you define lukewarm? Would you agree with me that it's kind of falls into that line of you're not producing fruit? Or is it because, you know, you believe in Jesus and you don't really take time to spend with him? Or is it because you gave your life to Christ and you've done nothing to, you know, improve your walk with Jesus? I feel like there's a lot of different ways you can be lukewarm. But I think the typical American Christian who self-professes they're a Christian either falls into the category of the I speak with my mouth that I'm a Christian, but then my behavior doesn't reflect that. I think that's one. And then I think there's another category of lukewarm, especially in the American church of, I do these things. I spend time with God. I, I work on these things. I've, I've, I behave like a Christian. I do a really good job of behaving like a Christian, but I don't produce any fruit and I make no attempt at producing fruit. And so what does it look like? How do you produce fruit? Honestly, I think we overcomplicate it. I think that's part of the reason we have so many lukewarm Christians in America is because we overcomplicate it. We think that we need to have all the greatest theology in order to share about Jesus. We need to, to have the Bible memorized in order to share about Jesus. And, and yes, scripture is important, but the way we make disciples, really, we can look at scripture. We can look at how Jesus did it. You know, obviously Jesus went and he found them where they were at, but you know, a lot of what we see of, of Jesus sharing the disciple or sharing the gospel with people was, hey, let's go to your house, have some dinner. Zacchaeus, come down from there. Let's, uh, I must go to your house. You know, part of the big accusations for Jesus was that he spent so much time with sinners. What was he doing? He was eating with them. He was sharing meals. He was sharing the Passover with them. He was mingling with them. And at the same time, he was mingling with his disciples. And so really how he made disciples was through spending time sharing intentional teaching and bringing those disciples along as he met with people for meals. So what's it going to look like for you to begin the process of sharing the gospel with your coworkers? You're not going to walk up to them. You shouldn't walk up to them and be like, do you know my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? That's not effective. And that's really going to turn people off. The best way to start is, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Do you want to come over to my place? We got uh, we got wings and pizza, and we're going to watch the game and hang out a little bit afterwards. And through sharing your life with people, they're going to start to see that there's something different about you because you have Christ. They're going to see the peace over your life. They're going to see Jesus in your life, as long as you're spending time with Jesus and reading your gospels or reading your, your Bible and, and spending time with Jesus, 
when you then spend time with people, they're gonna they're gonna see Jesus on you. And pray for those people. Pray that God would give you the conversations, the the open doors through that conversation, but living life with them and actually sharing your life with them is how you begin that process. Step out in faith. And so I want to ask you, or I want you to ask yourself just this week, this upcoming week, what would it look like for me to tangibly love my coworkers this week? What would it look like for me to begin the process of sharing with them about my faith? Take a second and pray. Ask God, God, who, what person in my life am I supposed to, to reach out to, to invite them over for dinner, to love them, to share the gospel with them? Who is that person? And I think oftentimes, a lot of times, the first people that kind of come to our heart and our mind, I think that's kind of the Holy Spirit prompting us, saying, hey, this person. And if not, then you just love somebody. You're not, there's, there's not harm in loving people. So I want to challenge you guys. Go out this week. Pray. And begin the process of making a new disciple. Whatever that's got to look like for you and your coworkers and your family and your loved ones. I'll pray for you. Lord, uh, I just ask that you would bless everyone. Who hears this message pray that you would challenge them in order to make disciples and be more effective at making disciples lord i pray that you would begin to speak to their hearts and their minds about who they're supposed to reach out to who they're supposed to love who they're supposed to begin the process of making a disciple with who they're supposed to share their faith with ultimately I ask that you would bring those people to their mind as they pray. Even right now, as they're listening to this prayer, I pray that you would already be speaking to their hearts and showing them that person or those people. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I pray protection over the, the hearer of this, that um, you would protect them from any attacks from the enemy. And Lord, that you would bless them and anoint them and allow your grace to them. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to thank you for listening. And uh, again, like I said, it might look a little different. We might kind of do away with the, the full sermon style stuff. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. God bless.